0: Welcome to the Sonic Shaman Show, home of the Coffee Connect and Conscious Connections. The show is dedicated to empowering you to perceive, know, be, and express your unique voice in this world without the fear of judgment of others through healing, coaching, and educational services. In each episode, Hank and his guests offer tools, techniques, and inspiration to help you step into your potency. Now, here is your host, Hank Sedela.
1: Hello, everyone. Of course, my name is Hank Suttle, and I have such an amazing guest with me today, uh, Stormy Lewis. She is a multi-published author, podcast host of Bookish Chatter, and story-sharing guru. And I want to just thank you so much for coming on, and how are you doing today?
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I can't I can't stand it, I'm very excited.
1: (laughs) Especially for International Women's Day, what a great day to have a guest like you on the show. And I know that you have a lot to share and a a rich history, but why don't you kind of give an overview of a little bit about your background and uh, what we're gonna be offering uh, to all of our viewers today. And everyone, this is meant to be interactive. If you have questions, comments, anything throughout the process, go ahead and make those comments and I'll bring them up as they're relevant. Uh, But why don't you give us a little overview of your story?
2: Yeah, so I was actually born bipolar unknowingly. And I didn't figure it out until I took psychology in college. And even then, I couldn't get anybody to say yes, this was you because my mother worked for the school district. So I was very adverse on how to behave in a classroom. (laughs) But uh, and so that was kind of a, a life thing that I had to deal with. But because I couldn't control my emotions and I couldn't necessarily control how I reacted, I became an easy target for bullying. Um, It seemed like everybody knew how to push my buttons and I didn't know how to stop them. But in the process, I actually developed not even a people-pleasing habit, but a complete people-pleasing addiction. I just was so desperate to have people see me for me and not the occasional outburst that I couldn't control. So um, I was a dancer. I went to school. I was a sign language interpreter. My resume is a hodgepodge of a lot of different things, um, just paying those bills and and whatnot. And but I always wanted to be a writer. And I was always told writers don't make money, teachers don't make money. And I think it's a generational thing. You know, my parents really wanted me to have that stable corporate job mostly because I grew up in a trailer park and my dad taught himself how to hunt so deer and things so that we could have food. And, and you know, it was just a different time back then. Um, and now I offer a podcast because I remember the first time I put out my book, I had no idea what I was doing. And it just was really a lonely journey to go on. Um, I've learned a lot since then, and so I offer that, and I also offer coaching for helping people push through those excuses and fear to share their story because your story matters, and you have no idea how you can change a life. I have nonfiction books about being in a toxic relationship, um, walking away and surviving, but even my fiction books inspired my 65 year old father to start writing his own children's books. So you just never know, but you'll never know if you don't even try. So I try yeah. to help people push through that.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's even the name of your podcast. I believe it is a bookish chatter. If I remember. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah.
2: So yeah. we try to bring on not just, it's not just me talking cause I babble great with purpose, but, um, I bring in experts you know for social media and stuff because i think a lot of people are overwhelmed with getting their story out they don't realize that they have to do things like this and a podcast and all this other stuff because those books unfortunately don't sell themselves
1: <laughs> Yep, it's definitely great to get in front of people and you mentioned a lot of things from your past i think one of the biggest things that people kind of step or get blocked by is identifying with their story as them versus breaking through the story and realizing that that's just you know the trauma and drama that makes the pearls of wisdom or the diamond the rough to really step into and share your potency in the world. And I know you mentioned you were uh, or are bipolar. Was there a turning point like identifying with that and, and realizing that it was a, a condition, quote unquote? I, I don't even like calling it a condition because I think it's misidentified. I think it could be a great potency. Yeah. Um, in certain, certain certain things. But where was the tipping point where you got? start to get rid of the story and really started to step into these things as gifts and abilities that could enhance your authentic voice in this world?
2: You know, I'll be honest. Um, we don't talk about it in my family. Um, I, I think it was because there is so much negative stigmatism tied to it that, you um, and I have lost jobs. Um, When I first figured out what was wrong with me um, because nothing was more freeing than knowing there was, you were different and getting somebody to believe you when you kept saying you were different. (laughs) Because I knew like my brain raced. I have ADHD really bad. Um, But there were days where I couldn't sleep at all. And there were days I couldn't get out of my bed. And there were days where it comes with suicidal thoughts on a regular basis and the thought of, you know, you're not good enough and the fact that the world would be a better place without you. And it's just a part of it. But I knew somehow I figured out really at a young age that that wasn't the real me. I kind of characterized it as its own personal identity. Um, But, I didn't start taking medication and therapy until I moved to Vegas because I finally found somebody that was willing to listen to me. And um, I've always been told that I'm very intuitive of it. Um, I have what I like to call like my bag of tricks um, Mm -hmm. to help me kind of survive. I know that if I feel kind of hungry, I really need to eat something because for whatever reason, uh, bipolar people, their blood sugar drops and that's where we get really not so nice. (laughs) And I tend to live to my name a little bit more those times. So I always had snacks as a kid. I always stuffed my backpack with snacks. I read a lot um, to kind of keep myself preoccupied um, and just did a lot of things. So once I figured out, um, at first I tried to tell everybody and then I kept getting fired. Um, because nobody wanted to deal with me. And I was like, no, I function, I swear. <laughs> but nobody wanted to hear it. Um, but my therapist was very surprised at how aware I was of it. Like if I do get a suicidal thought, I don't focus on it and I don't even get to that planning stage. I actually just count them. And when I get to a certain number, I call in and I'm like, hey, my meds need to be changed, like something's off. So um, I'm usually the one reaching out to them, letting them know if there's anything off. But to be honest, it was still a secret. And it was for the longest time, I felt like I was almost cursed. Like, why would I have been designed this way? Like, who would purposely give this to somebody, you know, kind of thing. And it wasn't until really last year, kind of 2019, that somebody said until you actually share it, then you're not really sharing all of yourself. Um, It's a part of you. And I knew it was a part of me and I knew it didn't define me. But now it's kind of a mission to get other people to realize that, yes, I have this, but it's not all that I am. So I kind of started leaking out a few things. Even when I wrote my first book, Surviving the Storm, I would kind of imply, but be as vague as possible, um, which I'm sure didn't make my parents very happy. (laughs) But, um, you know, I just, I was really getting to the point where I felt like if I can help somebody, I mean, I've been dealing with this my whole life. I have figured out how to survive and I have figured out to even when I got in the abusive marriage and I decided to walk away I made the choice to break my people pleasing addiction first and foremost because I knew if I didn't I wouldn't survive but I also figured out how even though a disease that kind of makes you think negatively on a regular basis I, I still figured out how to change my mindset to be more positive than not So that's why I like to make it a part of my story because so many people feel like they can't share their story because they have that imposter syndrome when they just don't think they're good enough. And so my standpoint is, is if I can still do all this stuff that I do with a negative mindset, and I still know I'm worth enough, then I promise I've got you, we'll get through this.
1: <laughs> right. Oh, and just saying that it, it, you said negative mindset, but really it was that you knew you were more than that, that really started to push you through and and just take ownership of what was showing up. I, I love that, that it's so important for people to own all their story. And we met in a uh, like a, a, another group and they had like the saying that your mess is your message and that the, the traumas of the past could really be your connection to people and to offer your medicine for them or your gifts of change. So I like to add your pain becomes your platform, your mess becomes your message.
2: Definitely. Um, When I came out with my first book, um, so I was in a marketing degree here locally and they didn't have an internship. So I just kind of started making a company without really knowing what I was doing, um, just to kind of practice with the marketing and and all of that. Um, So I started my message even then was, hey, we are storm chasers. and we're designed to conquer our personal storms. So you'll see a lot of things on Instagram and even my Facebook. And when I send emails, I'm like, hey, storm chaser. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people get overwhelmed with all the things that are thrown at them, especially as, you know, between last year and this year, that it, you need that reminder that you're still okay because you were designed to survive and nothing can get in your way. So.
1: But it really sounds like you went from surviving to thriving because you're doing all the things that probably people told you you might never be able to do or didn't,
2: you know, really (laughs) breaking through
1: all the stereotypes and things. Now, out of curiosity, like how did you have any... Well, I'll I'll give one first. Like when you were talking about the blood sugar, I'm in fact today marks uh, 15 years ago today that I had my last drink tomorrow's my sobriety date. And one of the things that they would say in AA is this little acronym called HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And you want to keep all those things in check so that the, you know, the dry drunk doesn't come out and like the reactionary impulses don't come out. Did you have any tricks of the trade things that you, as you became aware of these things that you would implement to uh, really keep things in a space of possibility instead of kind of going into that negative space.
2: Yeah, um, like I said, um, when I was really little, I never really knew what was happening. I just knew that um, I put hangry on a whole different level. (laughs) (laughs) So so yeah, even like I said, as a kid in elementary school, I just kept snacks. In my backpack and when i went to the dance studio i had snacks in my dance bag and so everybody would always come to me because they'd be like i forgot breakfast and i'd be like i got you do you want fruit roll-ups do you want pop-tarts do you want? <laughs> like and so that was the first thing i learned um now when i went away to college before i took the psychology class um i didn't understand sleep schedule. And so I know that I think better in the morning. So I tend to have my classes start at 8 a.m. And I was doing a play and we wouldn't get out until after midnight. So I didn't have a study. So my freshman year in college, when I was away from home, I actually got to the point where I'd had highs and lows, but I couldn't really tell you how long they lasted Um, I can tell you my freshman year that I got so manic, I just couldn't shut my brain off that I I had friends trying to do everything. They would make me listen to water. And I was like, that just makes me have to pee like this isn't helping. And we would do massages and I would run on the treadmill and until I got so sick, my body just shut down. And that's what happens when you have the highs and the lows is you get so high, eventually your body crashes. And then I just got in a real depressive state. And for the first time, it was where I was really conscious that I was there, but I wasn't participating. So for me, like my coworkers would talk to me and everything, but it was really more of me watching a movie play on a screen in front of my eyes. I wasn't like really participating much, but I knew I still had to go to work and earn my paycheck and I still had to go to classes and all of that. So um, when I took that psychology class, I'd always kind of somehow figured out how to kind of pull myself out of things. So like I knew that if I didn't sleep like three or four days, I needed to take a sleeping pill or do something to force myself to sleep because if I go more than like two days, it's not gonna end well for me. Um, If I can't get out of bed, that's when I have to really get out of bed and I have to walk and I have to, you know, do things like that and stay active. Um, But yeah, it was being manic for six months straight I've never been so exhausted in my entire life. And then it really bothered me that it was kind of like I was behind my eyes, but I couldn't like reach out and shake myself awake. Like I was still getting up and I was still doing it, but I just felt like I was trapped in my own mind. So when I ended up going to Vegas to help my sister out, we, um, I ended up, her ex-husband had painted the room that I was in completely blood red, like walls, ceiling, so light would be sucked out of it. And there were bars on the window and they argued a lot. And I knew that I fed off of emotions. I learned early on that even as a baby, between September and February, I just don't do well. It's seasonal depression for me because I think people get so anxious about like bills and buying those perfect gifts for the holidays and things like that. So I learned that if like, say there's an angry mob, I can't go near it because unknowingly I would feed off of their energy waves, kind of like if you think of it as a superpower, they send off these energy waves and then the, before I knew it, I would be so angry, I would see red, but it had nothing to do with me. Like I, I I didn't have anything to be angry about. I was just feeding off of other people's emotions. So I think even at an early age, I kind of learned how to just stay clear of things like that. As I got older and I started doing therapy and I started turning meds, like you'll see, I'll show you. I still have Christmas lights up because it helps me be really calm. And so like right now I currently work a customer service job. Well, since COVID hit, everybody, you know, is so excited to have a live person that you're the person they get all of their frustration out on. And so Mm -hmm. it's very negative. And it really just, I knew I had to find balance or I would not do well. Um, The isolation makes my anxiety on such a larger level than I've even ever experienced my entire life. So I am forever changing my bag of tricks based on what's going on. I can now view the situation and say, okay, am I, like if I get really upset, I remove myself. If I'm having an argument with somebody, I kind of have to walk away to give myself a second to go, okay, are you really upset about something? or you just caught up in the moment? And then I have to, if it's still bothering me, then I know there's, there was something that really upset me and then I'll go back and I'll have to have like a conversation or whatever. But I just, there's a lot of things you kind of have to play with knowing what I know, so. Yeah.
1: And as you described before, backtracking a little bit, a lot of the people that uh, watch or listen to this might not know what bipolar is. I'm kind of taking it for granted. Could you just kind of give what's the textbook definition of uh, bipolar, just to create a a framework for people?
2: You know, um, for everybody is a little different. Um, It's a chemical imbalance and it's hard to control with medication, mostly because your brain, a lot of people don't understand is forever changing. So it's like when you take allergy medicine and you become immune to it, if you take the same pill over and over again, it just tends to happen faster with your brain. And so for me, like I said, I feed off of other people's emotions um, very easily. So, uh, It's hard for me to be around somebody that's really anxious. I will automatically become really anxious whether I'm anxious about anything or not. I end up absorbing all of their feelings. I'm an empath really bad. Um, So I can seriously feel what you're feeling because I'm absorbing your energy. Um, but it's a, it's it's something where it's a little bit different for everyone. Um, bipolar means that you have really high moments where you're super manic. Like for me, my brain races. It won't shut off. It won't slow down. Uh, I can't sleep at all. Um, y- you'll hear in the stories, remember Britney Spears shaving her head and all of that. Yep. Um, people tend to max out credit cards because you just get so high naturally um, with the endorphins that it just really feels like you're a super human that can do whatever. And so those that get on the news typically haven't quite figured out how to, you know, manage it with medication and therapy and things like that. Um, Depressive states, like I said, um, for me, I don't ever envision like me taking my own life. And I think that's because I already have that self-worth that I know my life means something. So as much as I try to explain it, uh, I will never take my own life. But my suicidal thoughts are more like getting in a real bad car accident or something happening to me. But it's still that relief that it feels like the world would be a better place. Um, If you weren't there. So it's very up and down. Sometimes I do it both at the same time. So I will be bawling and laughing hysterically at the same time. And that's exhausting, by the way. (laughs) Um, It doesn't happen quite as often now that I know my tips and tricks and take my meds. But as a kid, I wouldn't know, like I would get so overwhelmed with emotion that it wasn't even funny. So yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought up the word empath because as you were talking, I was thinking already that while wow, you're you're amazingly empathic, and I think a lot of people are, and they don't associate being an empath with what they're experiencing, and we start to misidentify things we're aware of as our own stuff. And uh, one of my uh, business partners, or former business partners, I should say, he had a whole program called Empathic Empowerment Training, like really diving into the empath and giving tools so that you aren't overwhelmed. Have you? Like addressing the bipolar, it sounds like, is uh, through, through medication, the chemical imbalance. Uh, have you done things specifically to put the emotional part, the empathic part in check?
2: Yeah, I, um, boundaries are good. And it was really hard to figure out how to set boundaries because with the people pleasing side, I never wanted to say no. Um, so I, yeah, I was like a catch 22. Um, now I set boundaries. So there are, if somebody's really in a bad mood or a negative mood, like even with my job that I currently have now, um, for eight hours, I pretty much get screened up for the most part. So on my breaks, I will get on Facebook Live and I'll watch dry bar comedy and comedians and stuff and just kind of decompress. Um, I have to schedule time for myself to recharge my battery and just decompress. With the whole isolation, and I, I still am able to see like my parents and my my grandmother one time a week. Um, But even that, like, I'm fine being by myself. But it's a different ball game when you're forced to be by yourself, you know. So it's 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 been quite an adjustment. I feel like my anxiety really increased more so than I've ever experienced in my forty some odd years. So now, I really. I start my day making lists and making them manageable. So that way I'm not overwhelmed with looking at all the things that I have to get done. Um, Another key thing that I do because sleep is so important to stay steady, I shut off like social media pretty much around six, seven o'clock. So for two hours before I go to bed, like I'll watch like a TV show. Although lately I've been watching Criminal Minds and I'm not sure how well that is for me, but but I love the show. So, um, and I'm writing about a psychopath. So I, you know, but it's, It's yeah, I have to, I have to kind of focus on something else. Um, I don't get on Facebook very much because Facebook was just really becoming so negative and I actually cut down. I was connecting with a lot of people for business, but, um, so my Facebook account, don't be offended if I don't add you as a friend, that is my safe zone. Um, so the people that are in there, I've known for years, the people that are in there, um, know that I have ups and downs, and they don't judge me for it. And so like, when I'm really stressed or something, usually, you know, there, it's, it's my friend group more so than utilizing it for business. Now, Instagram, you can hop on um, as much as possible. But yeah, I, I have a hard time with Facebook, because all of the negativity that comes through. I don't experience that on Instagram. So I honestly don't get on Facebook very often. I hang out with the book nerds on Instagram and we have a great time. So I, yeah, and then I listen to um, guided meditation. Um, At night, sometimes when I really can't shut down, although that's hilarious, because I'll be listening. And then like, before I know it, I'm like, wow, like, I'm not even paying attention, because I'm still thinking of 8 million other things that I'm supposed to be doing. But I really have to shut down a couple of hours before I go to bed. So
1: yeah, and I have, uh, for people listening that don't see the screen, her Instagram is at the story sharing guru. That is a great book nerd and a handle. I love it. And you, can you. Also, you can also connect with her at chasingstormy.com. and stormy is spelled S T O R M I. And everything will be in the description for those listening. And if you're watching and you have comments, uh, questions, anything like that, uh, we welcome that. I'm just going to play a quick thing for the podcast part of it. Stick yeah. with it. Just a quick 30 seconds here
0: like what you hear so far make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now this show is made possible by listeners like you hank is part of the emergence of being contributor network visit emergenceofbeing.com to find all the content from the contributors and learn about our services and upcoming events thank you for your support now back to the show
1: now, I do have a comment from Ernie. Ernie was uh, just saying, welcome to the bipolar tribe, blood sugar sensitive and must be watched. So he's just uh, confirming. And that's a, a big thing too, like just taking care of your physical self. It's, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of of, law, of hierarchy of needs, all the physical things, if you're not taking care of those, it's really hard to work on the emotional part, the mental part, the self-actualizing part. So that one acronym before HALT is, is super, super huge. I'm curious with, with an empath, one of the, when we talk, talk about empaths and teaching about empathic things, one of the things I tell my students and things is if you name it, you claim it and a great tool for an empath just to offer you something. Maybe you can put in your toolbox is whenever you're aware of someone else's stuff, just to look at it, that's interesting. And instead of like, while they're angry or while they're anxious, and that kind of takes the, the, the glue off of it to kind of, right. if you've ever uh, had that, but um Let's see. I'm just looking at my notes here because we you have a whole bunch of things in your background that we really haven't touched on.
2: <laughs> I told you it's a hodgepodge.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's wonderful. Well, you know the thing I think that is um, the greatest one thing I would love people to take away from is this is still something that you're dealing with every single day. And regardless of that, you have pushed through and you've created multiple books and you've created a coaching program and you're actively expressing your authentic voice in this world, even while you're refining it. Do you have any inspirations or tools for people, even if they're in the thick of their trauma in the thick of their storm to use your analogy, how do they start to express while they continue to do that? Cause a lot of us, we have that, they call it the prison of perfection. Like we want to have all of our stuff dealt with before we start being us. And then you never yeah. start. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, so. will,
2: I will tell you growing up as a dancer, um, I It's you, you strive to be perfect all the time. And because I couldn't control my outbursts and I couldn't control some of the things in my life, like my emotions and whatnot, I, I, went to the other spectrum and I like was a straight A student and like just trying to be perfect because I felt like if people saw me as perfect, then they would forgive the outburst, you know, the occasional outburst a lot more if they had a better idea of who I actually was. Um, so for me personally, um I, I mean, this has been a, a 40 some odd year journey. Um, even when I finally had an answer, I wanted to say, say something because I knew I could help at least one person. And if you feel like you can help at least one person, then your story should be told. But I had too many people telling me no. Um, that my story wasn't worth telling, that it would do me more harm than good. So when I decided to publish my first book, I took the opportunity. I mean, I was talking about, you know, somebody that had had their own demons that was an alcoholic. And he liked to say he had the flu. And I referred to it as the vodka flu, but a lot of people had no idea what was going on behind locked doors. And so when it came time to write this book, I just, I really had that urge that I knew I could help somebody else. And I've always known, even as a kid that I was so much more, than the negative stigmatism that was tied to me and so it was actually really freeing to put that on paper even though i still was nervous about saying hey you know what i am bipolar i would my book refers to it as having labels um and that our labels don't define us just like the things that happen to us don't define us we It is a part of the journey. And once we can figure out how to look at it that way, I think you survive so much more than focusing on how other people view you. So I, and then right before I published the book, he actually ended up passing. And so then I had that conundrum of, okay, I really know this story needs to get out. There's different aspects of it. But It doesn't put him necessarily in the brightest of lights, but it still needed to be told. And so then I just started, I I was surrounded by more people that were telling me, yes, you have a destiny and yes, this, your story matters. It will save one person. So it really matters who you have around you. Now, some family members, not necessarily the most compassionate, the most positive, the most, I mean, like whenever I start doing something, I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't even share a lot of the things that I'm doing because I just get, Oh, what are you doing now? Like, I mean, it's just, and I know that, but I limit my amount of time with those people too. And I work harder um, because family isn't just blood. It's who you bring in to your life. And so I just really, once I got to the point where I could forgive them for having a misconception of who I was inside their head and coming to the realization that no matter what I did, I would never live up to their expectations because it wasn't anything of what I was. Um, So, I mean, like I said, uh, I go through therapy a lot. I went from not talking at all to not being able to shut up. So I I don't know. But um
1: well helps you out in podcast world for sure. It it
2: does. Um, but you know, if the thing is is that you have to decide. I always tell my book clients, hey, do you feel like you could change just one life? And even if it's fiction, sometimes they kind of look at me and I'm like, "Eh, give me a second, just answer the question. And so if they're like, yeah, I think I could inspire, whether it's inspiring somebody to write Mm -hmm. another book or changing a life. And then we talk about in in the group that we met in that if it was closed, like if your trauma was closed and if you were able to share your story, um, because that is an important part I had already kind of gotten to the point where I had already forgiven everybody in my life for not seeing me for who I was and not wanting to hear my story and and not accepting that I was on this journey to help others. Um, so you, you have to get there. And it's hard to give advice on how to get there because it's such a personalized journey, you know. So everybody will get there in their own way. But what I suggest is I can't tell you, even if you're not a writer, even if you're like, oh, I sucked at English class. <laughs> I was there. I, I can't spell to save my life. Um, my spell check goes seriously. What is this like? So just, but uh, but I stink at journaling. So sometimes it was easier when I was younger to write from a different point of view. But I was still sharing my story until I found my voice to share it publicly. So if that's what helps you get through, but I think whether you're not a good journaler or if you can take it from, think of it as a character's point of view. For the trilogy that I'm writing, Sophie Lee was always kind of that badass girl that I always wanted myself to be. And now I feel like I'm more like her now. So it's kind of fun to write from her perspective. But, you know, just get in the habit of, you know, sharing your story, processing it, get a good friend. Um, Now I talk people's ears off. But for so long, I was really encouraged not to say anything. And I think that's why it took so long to get to that point where I was like, you know what, I'm not cursed. I'm not evil. I'm not all of these things. But it took practice. So even if you sit in front of a mirror, always make sure you start with a positive, talk about the negative and end with a positive. So you can sit at your on your bed, and you can, you can even record videos now on your phone. And even if you have no intention of actually posting them, give yourself a compliment to start off with. And then talk about the things that you struggle with. But then make sure you spend the last half talking about the things you've already accomplished. Now, sometimes it's hard when you're on these great big you know, platforms, and everybody's like, I've got, like, especially in clubhouse, and people are like, I've got $50 million or whatever it is. And so it's hard to look at those little wins as a win. But no matter how big or how small they are, they're your wins, and you earn them. So like, even if it's, hey, I got out of bed today, high five, (laughs) like, (laughs) some days are like that. Some days, I can't, I don't, ha- like even if I wouldn't walk, if I still put on my tennis shoes, I would celebrate that. Yeah. Like
1: when I was getting sober, that was a big thing. Like you just waking up in the morning, getting out of bed, forcing yourself to have breakfast. They would say that when you're that depressed, you just need to act opposite until you start to step into that new space. And a couple of things, and I, then I want to ask a little bit more about your book. Ernie was just saying, and I I do the same thing that he likes to say he's been diagnosed bipolar to avoid claiming I am bipolar, and I do the same thing. Like uh, my name's Hank, and I can't safely drink alcohol. And in the English language, it's really crazy. Like the word I am like how we associate things after that like my wife is from germany and if she were to translate i am hungry to german she would say i would have i have hunger not i am hungry because there's a whole thing that's your state of being so just to recognize the labels as not defining you and and not being you i think was a huge thing that you contributed and another thing surrounding yourself with that like energy. We have a saying in Access mm-hmm. Consciousness, just for me, just for fun, never tell anyone. And you only share your deepest aspirations with people who are actually going to be a contribution uh, to whatever it is that you're looking to create in this world. Now, I know you have one book on the way, you've already have two books written, and it sounds like a lot of your processing has happened through your writing, if I'm if I'm following everything, yeah, uh,
2: yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I again my background's a hodgepodge. Yes, uh, da- dancing was huge for me. Um dancing gave me the ability to play whatever character, um, that you know, the story of the song and really practice emoting. And it was just so nice to get on stage and just perform and not be myself. But it was really funny because I was actually—I mean, I know it's hard to believe—but I was really a quiet and kind of shy kid. <laughs> now I'm I'm obnoxious, and I turned 40, and I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> um, and now I can't stop talking. But <laughs> so, um, dance was huge for me, um, but it also had drawbacks because those kids um, I spent most of my time with. And a lot of them, because they figured out that they could push my buttons and they found joy in seeing me erupt, um, I got bullied a lot and I got excluded a lot. And and I used to, my mother would have all these conversations of, why do you keep putting yourself through this? And I just kept saying, because I know I can convince them to like me for me. Like that was my go-to theme. So at 35, when I realized that if I kept going down this road, there's no guarantee that I would still be okay. Like I I was a sign language interpreter. So I actually did for a little while interpret for the kids that got put in the mental ward. And I just vowed to myself that I would never get that bad because I didn't belong in there. And my therapist would always be like, yeah, you don't, you're too aware first of all, (laughs) to let yourself get to that point. So it's just a matter of figuring out your boundaries, um, not looking at your weaknesses as weaknesses, but instead figure out how to turn them into assets. And if you're having trouble with a label, just tell everybody I'm a storm chaser. And then when they are like, what is that? Just tell them you'll see and walk away.
1: Now, the books that you do have, the first one, I know the key, that's the one I, I had ready to go, but you actually have a couple different ones. Could you just go through what your books are in the upcoming one and kind of, uh, well, it sounds like you you've kind of tell the story themed a little bit differently. So it's a little bit softer, I, I suppose, in terms of not rolling anybody under the bus from childhood and all that. But could you talk a little bit about what the books are and, and the stories in them and how they might be able to help people?
2: Uh, Yeah. So um, my first one um, I wrote in one week on spring break and I had kind of done blog posts. So basically I was doing things. um, I was trying to force myself to step outside of my comfort zone because I knew that would be the start of breaking my people pleasing habit if I had more confidence in myself. And so I would do things like I took an archery class, um, which I if I think about it. Everybody just needs to dug because only Lord knows where that arrow is going to go. But if I didn't think about it at all, I hit the bullseye every time. It's really it was really kind of funny. And the the guy that was working with me would just shake his head and be like, I've never seen anyone like you. And I go, "I get that all a lot. <laughs> but I ended up doing yoga class and that turned into a trip to Belize. Only she said, you have to do this for the bog. And she neglected to tell me that it was more of a couples trip. So I showed up single by myself. What up, peeps? And then was like, (laughs) OMG. It was all these other couples. So that was awesome. But she had told them about the blog ahead of time. And so every time I turned around, they were like, Stormy, you got to do this for the blog. And I'd be like, "Mm, I'm not sure I need to eat a termite in the middle of the jungle. I'm good. But I still did it. Minty fresh, in case you're wondering. It's like eating a breath mint. But um, so I was taking a lot of time stepping outside of my comfort zone and just trying to really figure out who I was. And get back to that confident girl that I used to be as a kid before too many people started telling me, don't talk so much and, you know, don't act out so much and you need to behave differently and things like that. Um, So the first book is Surviving the Storm and it is purposely set up. You will see parts of my blog um, through, you know, in the beginning. And it's my honest journey. I'm like, hey. I suck at darts. I suck at this. I suck at that. And and it's, uh, it's me being a nerd and you along for the ride. And most people enjoy it. Um, and I actually purposely didn't put a description of what I was experiencing in my marriage until the last third of the book. Because again, I wanted people who were reading it to say, wow, if she was going through this and still walked away and did all of these things, then and she's okay, then I'm going to be okay, too, no matter what you're facing. So surviving the storm is just about me kind of discovering myself. Now there's a second book, uh, Fuel for the Storm. That's just more so a lot of people that I knew had Alzheimer's and had already passed. And so that's more of a thank you card. Um, I feel like I I still even in the chaos got great morals um, from my dance studio, and the dance owner and stuff like that. Um, And then I didn't write for a while. And it was funny, because even after I published those books, I if somebody asked me what I did, I never said I was an author, I was like, "Eh, I published a couple of books, you can read them if you want. But I didn't have, I hadn't put that author hat on just yet, per se. Um, And then COVID hit. And like I said, I really knew I was desperate to find something to balance. And so I talked to a friend and she was like, well, you always loved writing. And I went, good point. And I, we kind of went back and forth and she was like, well, what about the next chapter of surviving the storm? And I was like, I've been working multiple jobs. (laughs) I don't feel like there has been a next chapter. I've just been trying to pay off my student debt. So I hadn't really felt like I had much to contribute. Um, But my mom had made the comment that um, our favorite author is Nora Roberts. And she did say at one point that my writing draws people in and maybe I should do fiction. So we kind of went around and she said, well, what stories do you have in your lockbox? And I said, well, this was a story that I started in middle school. And I actually never finished it because it got kind of tossed to the side And I was, that's when I was really being told that my writing wouldn't ever, you can't make money off of writing unless you know somebody kind of attitude. So um, I never finished it. And I was telling her the basis of it. And she said, Oh, you got to do that. I would buy that. I would buy that. So I let it kind of mull in my head for a little bit. And I wrote a couple of pages because for me, whenever I take a break like that, it takes me a while to kind of, I have to like force myself just to sit down and just kind of write and see what happens. And after a couple of pages, my friend in the apartment complex came over and he was like, this would be an awesome trilogy. And I was like, it's not even a book. What are you talking about? So, but the challenge of having a trilogy just really kind of excited me. And the fact that I could grow, like I said, Sophie was kind of my, I didn't have an imaginary friend, but she was kind of I guess what you could say, my imaginary friend. That would kind of she always stood up to the bullies and was everything I wanted to be, but I was too shy to be. So it's been really fun. So the key is the first part of her journey. And it sucks for her because she's really awesome, but she happens to get hit with by a car saving somebody and it gives her amnesia so you spend the first book trying to figure out what all has happened to her um and she has this key she was given to her father and so she has to find the key because she knows there's a man with the cane that is out to get her um and so you find out like her parents were murdered when she was a kid um so it's just a fun fiction but I love everything she represents. And so she was altered um, as a kid. Um, and so the second book is more so seeing that and all the backstories. So you find out who the man with the cane is, how psychotic he actually is and um, what the key does. And, and so it's just a continuation of the story. And then the third book will be her facing off With the man with the cane, of course. So,
1: and I see the second book is going to be The Protector, and that's got to release on May 14th. So, it's on, yes. I, I, what I posted on in the comments, and I'll update the description if you're listening to this on the podcast. There's a link to her author page, and it has all four of the books right there, including the the pre order one. Uh, So, that's great. Now, it sounds like with your writing what you you do coaching for writing i know a lot of people that i deal with they're always in the process of or have an idea for a book and they never really get it to come to fruition do you have a, a takeaway like how how do people find the motivation just to start that process to start creating
2: right so that is yeah that's why I do the coaching. Um, and I
1: should mention also last call for questions. If you do have questions, because we'll wrap up in about 10 ish minutes. So if you do have questions, post them now and we'll try to get to them before we run out of time. So I just want to mention that before you uh, start with the the inspiration to start writing. So go ahead.
2: So the reason why I coach people is because I want to get them past that point. Um, you'll find so many people will say things like that. I I have an idea for a book, but I don't know how to get started or life's too crazy or whatever. Um, So I actually offer a one-on-one you can do for the people that just need the occasional cheerleader and kind of that push and and get me to where I need to be. um, There's that Um, for people that don't work a full-time job. Um, and maybe have more opportunity to really focus on that. There's a three month program, but then there's also a six month program. Because I will tell you that working full time, taking care of an elderly family member, you know, and and helping my parents out, I still write a book in a month. I get it to the beta readers and all of the people that need to read it beforehand. And then I, I just relax. And then I kind of market the last two months and call it a day. So I have purposely made a schedule. And that no matter what your story is, we can work with it and work with your schedule. So that way you like are not overwhelmed because I get overwhelmed so easily. The name of the game is to not work any harder than you have to. But if you really want to get your story out and you're just struggling just to begin with, what you really need to do is first of all, schedule it in. Now, I am not one because this sets me up for failure to say, I have to get X amount of words done today or I have to get an X amount of pages done today. I would, so I would work until about 3.30. I take 30 minutes to kind of take a lunch break or a dinner break. And then from four to six, I just write. However many words I get, I celebrate. I post it on Instagram and I'm like, oh my gosh, look what I'm doing. Um, And so you wanna schedule that time, but you also wanna be in the right mind frame before you do that. But really the first step is, is if you have a story you wanna share, you have to commit to it. And you have to really go on social media because you will see me do this when it's time for me to actually suck it up, sit down and start writing is I will go and do an IG. Um, You can do a live on Facebook. And this is what I make my clients do. I make them go out and say, okay, you guys, I know I can't even believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to write a book. So from that moment on, You have encouragement from other people. Um, I did have a client that she did that and then she didn't write a single word for like two weeks and it, it was because she didn't listen. She didn't schedule the time. And so she even tried to cancel our book call. And I said, no, because you're not doing this for me. You're doing this for you. So I made her show up to the call anyway. We talked about how, you know, she needs to schedule it in. Um, to her already chaotic life and quit making excuses. And then she went back live and said, okay, I got a confession. I didn't write a single word, but this is what I'm doing. And that kind of also keeps you accountable. The reason why I love Facebook or not Facebook, Instagram is because they're so supportive. There are so many authors on there that when you're like, hey, I have writer's block, they'll be like, girl, I got you. And they support you the entire time. So that, that, those are just some things that I would do to kind of get you going on actually putting your story onto paper.
1: Yep. And one thing to go along with that, people who are in my field, if you're a healer or whatever your, your unique voice in this world is, by putting something down on paper, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you are... Basically, owning that you have that information, you have those gifts to offer other people, and that is the fastest way to manifest for yourself is to acknowledge that You have it, and you have it available to give to others. That is one of the key secrets, if you will, Exactly.
2: Of, of manifestation.
1: <laughs> Any final thought before we wrap up? We didn't have. It's a quiet group today, but also I'm not. I'm not usually on in the afternoon, so they're not used to me being streaming. This is, it a is thing for me. It is all good.
2: I, I'll talk forever, so you know. No. I, <laughs> you have to cut me off because. <laughs> i'll just keep thinking of things but yeah the most important thing is to always know that you matter your story matters and your mess matters so don't use the excuse of you know life's too crazy or you don't know what you're doing because there are plenty of people out there like me that can help you get to where you need to go but if you can save and i say save You know, I'm not talking about just if you have a traumatic backstory that you could, like I did, help somebody walk away from an abusive marriage. I mean, like I said, my fiction books have my dad's working on his second book. I have created a monster, I swear, (laughs) and I'm okay with it. So you just don't know what your story will inspire, but do it for you. And do it if you know that somebody else, because everybody, not everybody will like your stuff, but there will be people that do. And if you think about it, you're not only hurting yourself by not sharing your story, but maybe they haven't found their author yet and they're waiting for you. So if you are not jumping in and sharing your story, then they're missing out you're missing out and the world just misses out.
1: And everybody who watches me, they know I'm an acronym nerd. And one that we picked up from the group that we both were in is this idea of hope. And what you're talking about is to create hope for people really helping one person every day that in and of itself, of course, do it for you, but what change could you be in the world? Even if it is just one person, you know, exactly. that, that right there is a success. So just as a reminder, everyone, uh, you can connect with Stormy on her Instagram, which is the story sharing guru. Her website is chasing stormy and that's spelled S T O R M I.com. And her podcast is bookish chatter. If you want a nerd out, with your book out, you can uh, go ahead and tune in <laughs> to her podcast and uh, check out everything she uh, she's offering. And Ernie's just checking in, uh, just sharing your light. Absolutely. It, if you share your light, you're in the flow and you have more that you can share. If you exactly. keep it inside, you know, that's, that's, uh, It's a disservice to yourself really, but there's no wrong to that. People are where they need to be, but what energy space consciousness and choice could all of you be to start to tell your story, have your pain, be your platform, have your mess be your message and really start to be the catalyst for change in the world. That's where it starts. Just fix you, express you. And there'll be this massive ripple effect. Exactly. But thank you everyone for tuning in and, um, Make sure you also remember all the podcast episodes are now archived. You can get on iTunes, iHeartRadio, anywhere. Spotify, they're all uh, available for you to download, and we will catch you next time. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us today for the show. The Sonic Shaman is part of the Emergence of Being Contributor Network. Visit EmergenceOfBeing.com to learn about all the contributors and learn about our services and upcoming events. Please take a moment to subscribe to the channel. You can contribute to the show by supporting our efforts and sharing our content with those you care about and those who need it most.